Good to see you again. And uh, again, my name is Josh, if we ever met. Uh, hopefully we can, maybe even today. But I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And um, hey, welcome to all of you who are joining us online too. And uh, this morning, I mentioned we're continuing our series called Grounded. We're working through our statement of faith. And many of you know we're part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, the EFCA. And uh, the EFCA is just a group of autonomous, in, independent, but interdependent churches uh, that share and unite around the same statement of faith. Well, today we're in Article 6 of 10, and today we're talking about the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. So even before we, we get in this morning, would you join me? Let's just read uh, what our statement of faith says. Let's read this together. We believe that the Holy Spirit, in all that he does, glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. He convicts the world of its guilt. He regenerates sinners, and in him they are baptized into union with Christ and adopted as heirs in the family of God. He also indwells, illuminates, guides, equips, and empowers believers for Christ-like living and service. Uh, friends, uh, that's what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And so before we start to unpack that, we're gonna be in John chapter 16 today. Uh, before we, we get there, let me pray and uh, we'll ask for the Spirit's help as we do so. So let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you uh, also, not only for Jesus, but for the Spirit. And uh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work you do in our lives. And we do uh, thank you for the ways that you, you speak to us and guide us and equip us and empower us and uh, convict us even of our sin and change us. Holy Spirit, would you do that work today as well? And uh, I ask you again just to uh, be with me, speak to and through me as we look at your word that you penned and, uh, and might we leave changed and empowered to live the lives that you call us toward. Thanks for your love for us. And Father, we pray all this through Jesus. It's in his name, amen. Well, uh, friends, our Christian faith is anchored, dare I say grounded, in history. It's a, it's a historical faith. You know, if you remember a couple weeks ago in our statement of faith, we, we said in Article 4, uh, our statement of faith declares that Jesus Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate. It echoes the, uh, uh, the Apostles' Creed that maybe many of you, including myself, memorized in churches we grew up in. And uh, the mention of that first century Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, in our statement of faith, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Or at least it might seem strange on, uh, on face value. But really, the reason it's there is it situates the gospel in a particular place, in a particular moment in history. It says that Jesus died and rose from the grave during this time, saying this is a historical fact. It happened. That there was a Jewish boy named Jesus born in a village in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. This really happened. And this baby, this Jesus, he grew up to become a man who lived and taught in, in historical, real geographical regions of Galilee and Judea. And he was actually truly crucified by the Romans on a, on a real wooden cross. And he, he rose bodily, physically, from the grave. 
And his tomb was, and still is, empty. Uh, As Luke tells us, this took place during the reign of, uh, Luke gives us all kinds of historical details, the Roman emperor Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee, Herod's brother Philip was the tetrarch of Idria and Trachonitis, and Licinius was tetrarch of, and he goes on and on and on, tells us all these people, right? This is actual history, and some of these people are people you can look up. And in fact, the death and burial resurrection, the life of Jesus Christ is at the center of history. We literally count time around his life. So it's it's historical, it's true. Now why do I say that today? Well, because the question arises then, well, if this is historical and all this stuff happened 2,000 years ago, it kind of begs the question, how does that apply to me now, today, here, 2,000 years later. I mean, how does, how does that historical event and those historical truths, how could something so far away in space and time affect my life right here and now? I mean, because when we talk about Jesus, you just need to know, uh, we're talking about him as a historical figure much more so than someone like Alexander the Great or George Washington or Adolf Hitler were historical figures that that changed things in our world. No, we're looking at Jesus and saying that what he accomplished 2,000 years ago changes our lives in the here and now going forward. How does what happened so far ago affect us today? I mean, how, how could it transcend time and space like that? Well, I think Jesus anticipated that question in some of his final words. In John uh, chapters 14 through 16, he was departing from his disciples. He was about to be crucified on the cross, about to rise from the grave, and uh, about a month or so after that to, to ascend into heaven. And he assured his disciples, though, that even though he was leaving them, they would see him again, that he would continue to love them and that they would know his love for them. And and because he lived, they too would live. And that they they would continue to be loved by the Father. But you can imagine the disciples, they've been with Jesus for three years now of their life, maybe upwards of four. And now they find out this this person whom they've come to love, even uh, confess as God and believed to be their Messiah, he, he's leaving them. Wonder, would you be sad? You ever, you ever had that experience? You, you know somebody that you love and they leave and it just kind of creates an ache in your heart, doesn't it? Well, you can imagine uh, the ache they would have had, but Jesus assures them. He says, if I go, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper. He's gonna send someone else to be with you Forever, that's what Jesus says. And he goes on to tell us who this helper is. He says, the helper, in verse 26 of John 14, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you, he'll bring, he'll teach you all things and he'll bring to your remembrance everything that that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit would be a helper that Jesus would send even as he leaves. And when he comes... He will, he'll, he'll, he'll guide them in truth. If you get to chapter 15, you, I, I mentioned we're gonna be in chapter 16, but we'll back up here just a bit to the end of chapter 15 this morning. 
as Jesus says this, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. Notice uh, one thing we, we learn here right away about the Holy Spirit, and we're gonna, we're gonna kind of circle back to some of these things and unpack it a little further, but I'll give a few comments here as we go. Uh, the helper comes, Jesus is the one who's sending the Spirit, and the Father uh, also sends the Spirit because the Spirit proceeds from the Father. Jesus says that this helper, the Spirit, he will bear witness about me. One of the things we're gonna see this morning is that the work of the Holy Spirit, as we read even from our statement of faith, everything he does brings glory to Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. Not only will the Spirit bear witness about me, Jesus says, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me, he tells his disciples from the beginning. And he says, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Because he says, here's what's gonna happen. They're gonna put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, Jesus says, the hour's coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Jesus' disciples were, were hearing from Jesus again here that following him is not always going to be sunshine and roses, at least in this life. It's actually gonna be pretty hard. He doesn't say if they kill you, he says when they kill you. I think he would also say maybe to us when they uh, make fun of you, when they mock you on social media, when they ignore you and desert you. I'm telling you these things so that you don't fall away, Jesus says. That even though I'm not here, uh, there'll be a helper and, and he'll help you. See, they do these things, Jesus says, because they haven't known the Father nor me but I've, I've said these things to you so that when their hour comes, when all these things happen, you might remember that I told them to you. Sometimes we think that when we face opposition in life, we, we think that somehow God is opposed to us. But in reality, Jesus just says, that's, that's the reality because they were opposed to me. They're gonna be opposed to you. Well, uh, now we're gonna get into kind of our main passage for, for today in John uh, 16, the end of verse four into verse five. Jesus says, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because well, I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. He's going to the father. And none of you asked me, where are you going? Peter had actually asked that earlier, but Jesus is like, now this time's coming. I'm actually going. And nobody's like asking me right now, but because I've said these things to you that I'm leaving, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, Jesus says. This is a weird statement. It's to your advantage that I go away. Jesus says, it's actually to your advantage I go away. Do you ever, do you ever read your Bible, read the New Testament, read about Jesus, and you think, man, I just wish like Jesus was just like right next to me and I could just ask him some questions and be like, what's this about? What's that? Why? Do you ever wish that? Like you could just have him over for dinner? Well, Jesus says this, he says uh, to his disciples when he's leaving and about to leave, he says, actually, it's better for you that I don't stay here. It's better for you that I go away. It's to your advantage. Because if I don't go away, then the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And we see now that Jesus, who in his humanity is 
limited by time and space only in his humanity. When he ascends to the Father, the Spirit will come and now the Spirit will be with, with all who follow him. And in a very real sense then, you don't need to wish that you had Jesus to come over for dinner because if you trusted Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, the person we're talking about today. And when he comes, Jesus says, here's what he's gonna do. He'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they don't believe in me, concerning righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you'll see me no longer. So instead of seeing Jesus' righteousness, now we see the spirits he shows us, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He says, I still have many things to tell you, to say to you, but but you can't bear them right now. When the spirit of truth comes though, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. You see, again, we see the the role of the spirit is not to just do whatever he wants, but he actually, uh, in line with proceeding from the father and being sent by the son, speaks things that Jesus tells him. He does the work of and glorifies Jesus on the earth. He, He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And when Jesus says all that the Father has is mine, he's saying the Spirit will teach us everything about who God is, both the Father, the Son, and even himself. So uh, there's a lot there that Jesus gives us, but, but really what he does there is he's, he shows us that it's, it's good for him to leave and he shows us that it's by the power of the spirit that what happened historically, truly, 2,000 years ago is still at work in the hearts of men and women and children today. How? By the work of the helper, the Holy Spirit. So this morning, let's, let's talk about who the Holy Spirit is because there can be a lot of confusion about him. And the first thing, just to note right off the gate, uh, is that the Holy Spirit is fully God. This morning, as we look at the doctrine of who the Holy Spirit is, today's gonna be maybe um, a little more uh, lecture than maybe a typical sermon, you know, where we're plowing through a passage of scripture. We're just gonna talk about who the Spirit is. Uh, The first thing to understand right off the bat is that the Holy Spirit is God. Do you remember when, uh, when we started this series, uh, the first point of our statement of faith was about the nature of God and who God is. And one of the things uh, we believe and that the Bible indicates is that, that God is triune in nature. He's Trinity, three persons, one God. And many of us remain confused exactly how that works, Right? And that's okay. There's a lot of different analogies we could talk about that are helpful, but you know, the Bible really doesn't give any analogies about the Trinity other than to say that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And the Bible is also very emphatic that there is one God, both in the Old and New Testaments. And so we take it by faith and understand that there are three persons in one God, and uh, that's all I'm gonna say on that point today other than to that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is in fact God. He is. 
He's fully God. He's 100% God in every way. And, uh, you know, once we understand that, that God the Father is deity and divine and God the Son, Jesus is God, then we start to recognize there are some Trinitarian expressions in Scripture that express the reality of the Trinity, that all three persons are one God. For example, when Jesus tells us to go baptize people, he says to baptize them how? Well, in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Equating those three together. He doesn't say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Archangel Michael. Like somehow, like that wouldn't make any sense. No, he's saying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are God. They're one God. And uh, believers throughout all ages can only be baptized into that name of God himself. There's many other passages. You have a whole slew of them on your handout this morning that you can look up uh, Trinitarian passages where that is expressed. In Acts chapter five, uh, we read about this. Peter says to Ananias, um, Ananias, by the way, he and his wife, they had, they had sold some things and then they gave money to the church. But instead of saying, we sold you know, this amount and we kept this amount for ourselves, and we gave the rest to the church, they said, no, we sold it and we gave everything. We gave everything to the church. Except they didn't. They actually kept back some for themselves, which is, is okay for them to do that. But the fact that they lied about it is the problem. And Peter's confronting him and he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? For while it remained unsold, it, it didn't, did not remain your own. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Then why have you contrived this deed in your heart? You haven't lied to man. You've lied to God. Again, we're looking at the fact the Holy Spirit is God. And notice what Peter says. He says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. He says, you haven't lied to man, but to God. He's, he's equating the Holy Spirit to be God. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple? Speaking to the church there. And that God's spirit dwells in you. Well, God's temple is the place where God himself dwells. And so uh, if the Spirit dwells in you, then the Holy Spirit is himself God. David asks this in Psalm 139. He says, oh, God, where shall I go from your Spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. From your presence, from your Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, I'll give you one, one more here. Paul attributes the divine characteristic of omniscience, of knowing everything to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is fully God. It says God reveal, has revealed these things to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? I mean, I can't know your thoughts. I can't really know what you're thinking because I'm not in you, Right? Only you know those things. Well, Paul's saying that the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. Only God can totally know his thoughts. And the Holy Spirit then reveals some of his thoughts to us. So uh, just the first thing, get, get on paper and know the Holy Spirit, he's the third person of the Trinity, he is God. And uh, that's, as I just said, he is the third, I wanna emphasize this part, person of the Trinity. 
You know, uh, sometimes uh, people have questioned whether the Holy Spirit is indeed a distinct person rather than just a power or a force at work in the world. Maybe you've struggled with that too even. I know at different times in my life I have and I've probably thought wrongly of the Spirit not as a person but as, as, as this mysterious force. Uh, something different, something rather than someone. But the New Testament it gives a lot of evidence that's pretty clear and pretty strong that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. I mean, imagine if you referred to your spouse as it. That wouldn't be good, would it? No, because they're a person, he or she. And they have personhood. Well, the Holy Spirit is the same. He's not just a force or an influence, but a distinct person. Let's give you some examples of how the scriptures show the personality of the Holy Spirit. Uh, First thing to notice is that the Holy Spirit can be grieved by our sin. Just like any person can be grieved. There's there's emotion and and all those things as part of the spirit. Paul says this to the church in Ephesus, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If, if the spirit can grieve, if the spirit can, can feel those things deeply, he is a person. That's, a, that's an attribute of personhood. Um, not just to feel pain, but emotionally to grieve. You see? Uh, here's another one. He has knowledge. Uh, we, we read this passage earlier, but that the, the Spirit of God searches everything, even the depths of God. He, he knows the thoughts of God. He has, he has knowledge. That's an attribute of, of personhood. A person can have knowledge. Uh, how about this? He can be lied to. We already looked at this passage as well with, with Peter and Ananias. The, the Spirit can be lied to. Uh, and he can also pray because he's a purpose, or he's a person, excuse me. He can pray. Uh, we see in, in Romans chapter eight, likewise, that the spirit helps us in our weakness. For, for we don't know what to pray as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And who searches the heart and knows what's the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Do you know the Holy Spirit's been praying for you? Because he loves you? He loves you? He does, he intercedes on your behalf. He's your helper. That's why Jesus has sent him. Well, he can be lied to, he can pray. And not only this, he can teach and guide. See, the helper, as Jesus calls him, it's a great name. The Holy Spirit, I almost kind of wonder, is the helper just, is that Jesus' nickname for the Spirit and his love for him? How you doing, helper? Because he helps us. He he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. He helps you. you. You know, I can't tell you how many times when I've read God's word and I just pray and ask the Spirit to help me understand it because he wrote it or to help me in different areas of life. He's a helper who teaches us and guides us. Jesus said in John 16, we read this earlier, that when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he won't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, 
and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You know, there's a lot of evidence of the Holy Spirit then being not a force, not a thing, not an it, but a person, a person. There's some other personal activities that are ascribed to the Spirit. Bearing witness, we saw that. Uh, He gives gifts to others. He gives us gifts. He forbids and doesn't allow certain activities. He speaks many times in the Old and New Testaments. He, He evaluates and approves a wise course of action. He's a person. You know, and and one other thing, if the Holy Spirit's only to be understood as a power or a thing or an it, then there's some passages of scripture that just don't make sense. For example, I'll give you one. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, uh, we read this, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, he anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. If the Holy Spirit was just the power of God, just a power or a force, then Really, what that would read is that God anointed Jesus with the power and with power. Wouldn't make any sense. Kind of redundant there, aren't you, Luke? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit isn't simply a power or force. He's a person. Let me show you one last thing before we continue on this morning and talk more about the work of the Spirit and how he works in our lives. Is uh, In, in this passage, uh, we read earlier, John 14, This pronoun, he, is a key one uh, in multiple places in the New Testament showing us that the Holy Spirit is regarded by Jesus and is regarded uh, by the writers of scripture as a person, not an it. See, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he, he will teach you. Well, if the Spirit was simply, um, simply a force, it would actually say it. And, and the word spirit in Greek, pneuma, is, a, is a, a neutral word. It doesn't have gender associated with it. Yet when John writes, he, use a, he uses a gendered pronoun, a personal pronoun to refer to the Holy Spirit. He, he's a person. Now, why do we spend so much time here? Because I just want you to see that that God's love for you and his care for you and and Jesus sending the spirit isn't an expression of him kind of stepping away and just going, oh, here you go. No, it's him saying, I'm sending the person of the Holy Spirit to be with you, to love you, to comfort you, to help you, to counsel you. And, And he can be talked to, he can be prayed to, he can be enjoyed in, in, the, in his company in the same way you could if the person of Jesus were sitting next to you in his humanity right now. That's the truth of who the Holy Spirit is. And what he does is he glorifies Jesus in everything he does. In everything he does. If you don't get much more than those two things, that the Holy Spirit is a person and that everything he does glorifies Jesus, uh, if you don't get anything else, get those two things this morning. Knowing one, that he's a person, but two, that in everything he does, he glorifies Jesus. And sometimes uh, some of the confusion about the Holy Spirit comes into play where either we don't think of him as an actual person who can be grieved, who can be lied to, who can be communed with, but we think of him as a force, as an it. And then also, sometimes we think that somehow the Spirit gives us uh, something that, that Jesus doesn't or that's extra than his word. You know, like the Holy Spirit uh, 
told me to do this. He might. He might tell you to do something, but how do you check whether or not it's the Holy Spirit and not just another spirit (laughs) guiding you? Well, he won't do anything that's opposite of what he's written in his word. So if you're like, ah, the Holy Spirit led me to uh, divorce my wife. I don't think so, because he also wrote that you shouldn't do that, right? Now, if you do, there's forgiveness for that, and God, God pardons and rescues, redeems, and restores you. But that wasn't the spirit leading that to happen, was it? Uh, that, that doesn't happen. Um, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus and all that he does. And second, you can just test it by saying, hey, does this action, does this thing bring glory to Jesus or does it reject him and not bring glory to him, but maybe bring confusion to who he is or to what he does? Well, then I would say, I'm not so sure that that's necessarily the work of the Holy Spirit because Jesus says he'll only do what he hears from me. He'll, he'll always bring glory to me. The work of the Spirit is, you can rightly say then, is, is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Um, because he says when, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he won't speak on his own authority, but whatever Jesus says he hears from me, he will speak. He will glorify me. He'll take what's mine and declare it to you. So uh, friends, if you wonder, you know, is that, is that the Holy Spirit leading me in this area of life or in this decision? Well, if it doesn't glorify Jesus, the clear answer is No. He's not, that's not the Holy Spirit. It might be a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And, and also, uh, rightly, you can say, well, does what, the, what I feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me in here, does it align with his word? Because remember, when we talked about the Bible, we, we, we declared, and the Bible's clear, the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote God's word through human authors. So would he tell you something that's different than what he already said and contradict himself? No. Would he lead you to sin in some grievous way? You're like, well, but I think that's the spirit, Josh. I think the spirit, I don't think he is. He's not leading you to run off with some other man or woman. He's not. Because his word says the opposite of that, doesn't it? So always test those things by, does it glorify Jesus? And is, is it according to his word that he's already written. Uh, Here's some of the work then of the spirit of how he glorifies Jesus. First, he convicts the world of its sin and of its guilt. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, Jesus said this in John 16. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, Do you ever have that sense of right and wrong in your gut? Like, you know that you messed up. You know that you're in the wrong on this or that. That's the work of the Spirit convicting you. When you first, those of you who've become a Christian and follow Jesus, when you first begin to recognize, I'm a sinner, I'm messed up, I need someone to fix me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He convicts you of sin. He convicts me of my sin. That's his work. So Jesus said he would do. Well, why does he do that? So that we would turn to Jesus. Because in convicting us of our sin, then he witnesses, he bears witness to who Jesus is. 
You know, after I became a Christian, I remember beginning to read the Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, more and more. And there was one verse that, that always troubled me, a passage in Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, if you want, you can turn there with me now. Uh, specifically, verse 31 of Matthew chapter 12. And uh, here's what it says. Jesus was speaking and he talks about this. He says, he says, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of people. That's great news, isn't it? That every sin will be forgiven. And then he says this though, except one. To which me, as a new Christian, my ears pop up and I go, all right, which one's this? I hope I don't do it. I hope I don't blow it. Here's what he says. The one that won't be forgiven is blasphemy against the spirit. He says blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven, which started causing me to, to think and to worry, how do I blaspheme the spirit? What does that mean? And by the way, if you've ever had that fear, or that worry, that's a, probably a good sign. Because let me tell you what that is. What that is, is the work of the Holy Spirit, he's gonna always bear witness about Jesus. So if you're blaspheming the Spirit, you're saying everything that the Spirit has told me and witnesses to about who Jesus is, I reject it. I'm not gonna follow that. I'm not gonna believe that. I'm turning away from that. That's blaspheming the Spirit. Because the Spirit is the one who convicts us of our guilt and draws us toward forgiveness in Jesus. And so if I reject that, I can't be forgiven that. I can be forgiven everything else, but not rejecting my only hope for forgiveness. It's antithetical for that to happen. So if, if you've trusted Jesus and you're worried about that, just, just know if you're worried about it, that's probably a good sign that you have not rejected the Holy Spirit because you want to honor and love Jesus with your life. But the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and guilt. He draws us towards Christ. And here's another work of the Spirit is after he convicts us, these are all kind of straight out of our statement of faith and out of John 16 as well, the Holy Spirit regenerates sinners. You know, this is a fancy word of saying the Holy Spirit makes us new. See, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, that's, that's what uh, won and, and bought our salvation and our redemption. But the one who applies that to our life and actually changes us is the person of the Holy Spirit. He, he makes us new. Uh, for, for some of you, you know, you've trusted Christ and, and you've been changed and you can, you can look, whether it's at a distinct moment in time or a period of time where you can say, you know, I was this person, but now I, I'm just, I'm changed. Like things have changed in my life. And, and you know that that's been the work of of God's word and of the spirit changing you. You know, I can divide my life into two periods. One where I liked pastrami and one where I haven't. Here's, here's the story. So we were coming back from, uh, it was shortly after my dad's funeral. We were coming back from Iowa and, and Subway at the time had these pastrami sandwiches that they were promoting. It was like the big promotion. And so we're driving back along I-80 and somewhere around Iowa City, Hannah and I stopped for, for lunch or dinner. I don't remember what time of day it was. I stopped at Subway. I'm like, I'm gonna try that. It looks pretty good. And I ate it and it was good. But uh, fast forward about a half hour later down I-80, shortly before we got out of Iowa <laughs> and there was nowhere to stop, 
It was not so good. And we pulled over to the side of the road and that's the only time I've ever thrown up out the side of a, a car door alongside the interstate. And ever since then, there's a distinct change in my life. <laughs> or even the thought of pastrami, like it makes me feel a little queasy even right now. Like I can, yeah, it's just nasty. But you know, the same thing happens when the Holy Spirit regenerates us, he makes us new. And to where there's a, a distinct period in my life where I was this, but now I'm this. How did that happen? It's the Holy Spirit who changes you. And his conviction of your sin here draws you towards Jesus. And now his conviction of sin and guilt today, after you've trusted Jesus, always turns you back to Jesus in repentance. Recognizing that's not who I am anymore. I can't eat pastrami anymore. I'm, I'm new, do you see? And the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us. It's by his work that we're saved. And, and the Bible refers to this also as being born again. Um, you know, this, this comes up initially in the Old Testament, the work of the Spirit. Uh, through the prophet Ezekiel, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. He's looking forward to the work of Jesus on the cross. And not only this, but I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. He's not only going to forgive us and make us clean, he's actually gonna make us new. That was the promise in the Old Testament. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you a, uh, remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, the Holy Spirit will, will make you new. A new man, a new woman. When uh, Jesus encountered a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus at night, Nicodemus comes to him and Nicodemus is like, uh, Jesus, what do I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And just like, Nick, you gotta be born again. And Nicodemus is like, huh, how, how, how do I be born again? I can't crawl back into my mother's womb like that. How's this supposed to work? And Jesus says this, well, uh, uh, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, physical birth, like a, a mother's water breaking, and the spirit, born spiritually by the power of the spirit regenerating you, he can't enter the kingdom of God. You need the Holy Spirit to change you and to make you new. And that's what the spirit does. He regenerates us. So he convicts us of our sin and then he actually does the changing of us and then he even unites us to walk with Christ and to be with him and to live with him. He does this, uh, as we studied, you know, we, we begin life united to Adam in our sinfulness. But when the Holy Spirit convicts us and regenerates us, he actually unites us now to Jesus and his righteousness. That's what baptism is about. Some of you, you're thinking maybe about getting baptized next month. I'd encourage you, if you haven't been, get baptized because it's just this physical expression of this spiritual work of the spirit regenerating you and uniting you to Jesus Christ. The word baptism, we get it from this Greek word, baptizo. But there's no like one-to-one -one word in English. So instead of finding a word that fit, they just transliterated it into a brand new English word called baptize, baptism. Baptizo to baptize. But really, it, it kind of means to immerse to engulf, to totally wash over. 
And so in, in the baptism of the Spirit, when the Spirit baptizes us, he, he unites us, he engulfs us, he uh, immerses us and unites us with Christ. Uh, for in one Spirit, we're baptized into one body, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. We're all made to drink of one Spirit. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but he who's coming after me will baptize you with the Spirit. He'll immerse you, engulf you, wash you by the Spirit, and unite you to Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit in you. He convicts, he regenerates, he unites us to Christ, but then he doesn't just leave us there, he actually helps us as our helper to, to follow and honor Jesus with all of our life. With all of it, he helps you and he helps me. Uh, Paul says to the church in Rome, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You don't have to fear God or fear the spirit. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons. He's adopted you into his family. He's, he's a person who's with you, alongside you, who loves you and is here to help you. To help you walk a life that's honoring to Jesus and fulfilling to you. He helps us in a number of ways. First off, the Holy Spirit indwells believers. He indwells us. By the way, this is all just kind of right out of our statement of faith. Do you remember when we read it? Uh, in indwelling us, you know, I mentioned when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. He changes you, he dwells in you, he unites you to Christ. Uh, but Paul goes a step further and says, we shouldn't just be indwelt with the Spirit, we should be filled with the Spirit. You're the temple, the Spirit lives in you, now be filled with him, controlled by him. Don't be controlled and filled with wine, be controlled and filled by the Spirit. You ever make chocolate milk? Be honest, you ever make chocolate milk? Not just for your kids, but for yourself? How do you do it? Pour a glass of milk, pull out the Hershey syrup, you pour it in, maybe add a little more, maybe a third more, and you fill it up and then what happens if you look at that glass of milk, what do you see? You see milk and you see chocolate, don't you? Well, if you took a drink of it right now, you might taste a little chocolate, might taste a little different, but really it'd just be milk, wouldn't it? What do you gotta do to fill that milk with the chocolate and make it something brand new? Stir it up, you gotta stir it up. And once you do, what happens? The milk turns from just plain old milk to chocolate milk. If you would smell it, it would smell different. If you taste it, it would taste better. It'd be delicious, right? Well, in the same way, uh, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you, but he's a person who longs to be invited uh, in a sense, into that relationship, so that allowing him to fill you. And so you can stir him up by simply uh, reading what he has said and obeying it and, and spending time in prayer, praying to him, communing with him. And as then you're filled with the spirit, then you begin to notice some incredible change in your life. You look different, you smell different, you taste different to a watching world. You become the new person he's made you to be. So don't just be indwelt by the Spirit, friend. Be filled with him. Study his word. Spend time with him. He's a person who loves you, longs to be with you and to change you. He helps us to honor us in our life by, again, this is along the same line, illuminating us. When we talked about uh, the doctrine of, of God's word and that the Holy Spirit inspired human authors, his inspiration wrote uh, the Bible 
Not only does he inspire it, he illuminates it. It's like he shines a light on it and helps us understand. I mentioned earlier, but I can't tell you how many times, especially as I'm studying for Sunday morning, I'll read something and I'll just be like, I don't understand that. And, and so I'll say, Spirit, help me. What does this mean? Uh, what, what did you mean when you wrote this? You know, you can do the same thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit in you. And, and so as you're reading God's Word, I, I would encourage you even before you read it each time just to say, Holy Spirit, would you help me understand what I'm about to read? Help me understand what you wrote for me to know. And sometimes he makes that clear and helps you. And sometimes you keep reading for a while and he makes something clear, but he illuminates his word for us. He, uh, he helps us honor Jesus with all of our life by guiding us. He guides, not only does he illuminate, but he guides. Uh, we mentioned, you know, in, in the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled with the spirit as we're filled. He, he guides us. Jesus said, we read earlier in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He guides you in terms of illuminating his word to understand it. But you know, he guides you just in everyday decisions of life. That it is right, absolutely right and good for you to pray at any time. Spirit, help me with this. Help me figure out what to do with my finances here. Help me to know how to talk to that person. Help me control uh, my attitude and my emotions in this moment. Help me decide what to do tomorrow. It's good and right for you to ask that. He's a person who loves you, who's with you, who longs to guide you and will guide you as you ask him. One of the things the spirit does in guiding us is he he guides us in truth in terms of uh, living a, a life that's holy. You know, Paul wrote to the church in Galatia as well as others, he says, I say, walk by the spirit. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Walk by the spirit. If you're led by the spirit, you won't satisfy those desires, he says. Well, how do you walk with him? Read his word, talk to him, ask for help. And he will. In fact, he, he equips and empowers us to live a life that's honoring to Jesus and that's fulfilling and that's joyful. The Holy Spirit does that. He equips us by giving us gifts. You know, if you're a Christian, if, if you've trusted Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are gifted. I'm serious, congratulations. You, you have spiritual, Holy Spirit-empowered gifts that are yours to use. To do what? Well, to, to honor Jesus, to serve other people, and ultimately to bring joy to your life. For some that's teaching, for some that's encouraging, for some that's hospitality. There's many of them in scripture that the spirit gifts you and equips you. And then he empowers your use of those gifts and empowers you to live the life that Jesus calls you to live. Um, and friends, the Spirit does all of this to help us honor Jesus in the way we live with all of our life. Uh, in closing, you might think of it like this. Uh, 100, I don't know, 150 years ago, uh, Dio Moody was preaching and he was preaching about sin and about the power of the Spirit to change us and to make us new. And he holds up this glass and he says, somebody help me. How do I get the air out of this glass? 
Somebody from the back of the room piped up after a little bit of silence said, get a vacuum. Like, okay, well, I could hook a vacuum up to it. I could vacuum everything out. But if I did that, if I created a vacuum, it would crush the glass and break it. How do I get the air out? A couple other suggestions came forward. And then eventually, after just letting uh, awkward silence ring in the air for a while, uh, Moody reached over to a pitcher of water and went like this. There, the air's out. The way you get the air out is by filling it with something different. You ever wonder that about your own life? How do I uh, eradicate this behavior? How do I change this? How do I get this out? I think the answer from scripture would be trust Jesus and be filled with his spirit. Let him change you. Let him convict you and regenerate you and unite you to Christ and empower you to live the life that only he can empower you to live as you live a life of of, uh, fellowship with him and and obedience to Christ. Friends, uh, the Holy Spirit is fully God and he's a person. He's a person who, if you're a follower of Jesus, dwells in you. And while he does everything to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, he will help you as your helper to do the same. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And uh, Jesus, thank you for your spirit. Thanks that you didn't leave us as orphans. You didn't leave us here on our own, but uh, you're leaving. Well, it seems counterintuitive to us. Jesus, you're clear it's better for us because now we have your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you uh, make yourself known to us today and this week? Uh, Guide us, empower us, fill us that we can live lives of obedience and lives of joy. Holy Spirit, too, I pray for my friends who've maybe never trusted you or who have uh, one time trusted you and maybe turned from you. Would you work in their hearts in such a way that they'd know uh, your love for them and Jesus' love for them and the Father's love for them, that they'd turn back to you? And uh, Father, thanks for Jesus. We pray all of this through him. Amen.